0: So in case you didn't hear me earlier on, my name is Becky, I help lead St. Catharines with Owen and the team here. In case um, you don't know me already, I'm married to Owen and we just celebrated our 22nd anniversary the other day. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. And we have um, three beautiful teenage daughters, Rachel, Abby, and Evelyn, and it's my privilege to chat to you this morning and we're going to be looking at Matthew 8, 5 to 13. So, I keep going. Um, In the month of July and August, we are doing a series called um, Conversations with Jesus. Uh, There it is. And um, it's a study on the kind of people that Jesus met, people he chatted to, what their interactions were, and what we can learn from their conversations. This is the fourth talk of the series. Uh, many of you will already know this story very well, and some of, for some of you it might be new, but no matter what the stage you're coming to this text, let's pray and ask God that, op- that God opens our eyes to something new and fresh. So I'm just going to pray. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of being able to read these words freely without fear of consequence. We thank you for these words of Matthew, uh, who wrote, that wrote, he wrote them so long ago. And we ask that your spirit would be illuminating a word or phrase from either this text or from my simple words so that each heart and mind could leave here today knowing your heart for them a little bit better. Amen. All right, let's um, turn to Matthew 8, 5 to 13. So if you've got you can a Bible with you or on your phone or one of the ones in the chairs, um, one of the Bibles I looked up, it was on page... Six eight six, yeah. One of the other Bible. I'm not sure what the other one is. Nine seven two. Okay. So we'll read that together. The faith of the centurion. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, Shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed, and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Um, I've lost my spot. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. So a few things stood out for me as I prepared for... um, for this morning but let's start with the first few verses five and seven i love this exchange a centurion a man of authority comes and says lord my servant lies at home paralyzed suffering, suffering terribly and he said jesus response is shall i come and heal him we have this picture here of a man of authority coming to jesus asking for help here in in the niv version that we've just read jesus asks shall i come When I was reading them in other versions, Jesus says, I will come. I wanted us to pause here for a moment and notice Jesus' willingness to heal. That's the Father's heart, to heal and to restore. Jesus sees and hears this man's heart of compassion for his servant, and it meets his heart of compassion. Shall I come and heal him? I will come and heal him. Jesus' heart, when he hears the need, is his desire to heal, his willingness to restore. I know that many of us have asked and had faith and hope in our hearts like this centurion, but haven't seen healing. And that disappointment, and it hurts, and the loss is very real, and we bring those questions to God and those frustrations. Well, I know I get frustrated because I know God can heal, and I'll tell you a little later on why I know that. Um, But he has the ability to heal, but we hold this tension and this pain when he doesn't. Let's look at verse 8 and 9. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am myself a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, come and do this. And he does that. The centurion knows that Jesus has authority, but why? how does he know that? There's no, We don't know before whether or not he's met him, whether he's heard stories or what he's seen. But for some reason... He knows that this man has authority over sickness. The offer, officer responds to Jesus by insisting he doesn't need to come to his house. I know that it says, I'm not worthy, but he just, he's able to say, I know that you, can, you just need to say the word and it will happen. He has absolute confidence that Jesus possesses God-given authority to heal from a distance. He has faith. Faith that some around Jesus didn't even have. A question for us might be, what does it mean to trust Jesus with the authority that he has for our needs? he Wright puts it like this when he writes about this te- text. Faith in Christian terms means believing precisely that the living God has entrusted his authority to Jesus himself, who is now exercising it for the salvation of the world. At this point, Jesus has laid hands on people, his interactions with people, he's chatted with people, but this is the first story where we hear he has authority to issue a command beyond himself, not just in person. The centurion recognizes something in Jesus that the local people don't. He recognizes that Jesus has power and authority over diseases, that he can say the word and it will happen. And he understands the chain of command and expects and knows that Jesus can say the word and it will be done. <clears throat> In the previous two chapters of Matthew 6 and 7, just before this story, if you look at your Bible there, there's lots of red letter texts and it's the Sermon on the Mount. But right at the very end of verse 28 and 29, it says, Jesus finished saying all of these things and the crowd were amazed at his teaching for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their religious rulers. So just before this text, we see that he, The people are seeing that Jesus has authority in a different way. There's something about when he speaks. There's something different on it. So this is, but this is the first time that we see somebody outside of the Jews saying, wow, I can see that you have real authority here. And Jesus is absolutely amazed. And this is the first time we, well, there's not very many times where we say here that Jesus is amazed in the New Testament. He has authority and people notice when he, when he taught that there was something different, and the centurion knew. If we look at verses 10 and 12 then, this is where Jesus is prophesying. So if you look there, glance at it very quickly. I tell you, so Jesus says he was amazed, and he says, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. And I say to you that many will come from east to west and will take their places at the feast of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is prophesying here. Many will come into the kingdom. This is the best picture I could find for many will come. <laughs> I thought it's because he's saying it's not just for the Jews. Many will come. Something is going to happen that's going to shift it. And this is one of the first indications. He's prophesying about what will happen. And but the subjects of the kingdom being thrown into darkness, whether they are weeping and gnashing of teeth, doesn't actually fit very well with the Jesus that we know, who and the God we know, who is loving and kind, slow to anger and abounding in love. I, when I read that verse, I was like, oh, I don't want to have to teach on this one. <laughs> so just briefly, I, I don't want to focus on it, but I just want to quickly, so I don't miss it. Um, the subjects of the kingdom are the Jewish, Jewish people around Jesus. They're hearing his teachings. And when I looked into it, the, what is saying some of the theologians are saying that being thrown into darkness is that, is that some are thrown into confusion, unbelief, and they're referring to being separate from God. And some suggest that weeping, of gnashing, weeping and gnashing of teeth is being caught in anger. So it kind of opens our eyes to a different possibility for that text. Jesus is saying some people's eyes aren't open to the kingdom of God. The writer of the Gospel, Matthew, is warning the Jews who assume that their birth is enough to get them into the kingdom of heaven. He's challenging their assumptions and saying they need faith and belief in Jesus. So we see Jesus as prophesying about what will happen after his death and resurrection. Many from the east and the west will come. We don't hear again what happens to the centurion and to his his family or to the servant and his family. We know he's healed. But I imagine that because of that healing, their families are transformed. That it's the first time that something new is not just for the Jewish people. I know this to be true because of my family. Um, I'm here here because of a healing in my family. So I imagine that the centurion's family's lives were changed. So some of you will have heard this story before, and my apologies in advance if you have. But I thought it would be important to say, um, before two years before I was born, me and my twin brother were born. My granddad was miraculously healed. We call him GGT. His name is Tom, though. Um, But he was completely deaf. He now this was in the 70s. You know, the old-fashioned phones would ring beside him. He wouldn't hear it. My mom would come running and say, "Dad, how could you not hear the phone?" And um, All right. and he had, he had a few small growths on the back of his neck and um, they were devout Catholics and there was a charismatic Catholic priest in Canada that they, in the 70s so there was a renewal of, of churches there and um, the Catholic church didn't know what to do with this guy so they kept on moving him around so it kept spreading mm-hmm. which is funny um, but my, my grandma was going to these meetings and enjoying these prayer meetings, and my granddad went only to stop her nagging, which still makes me laugh that I think he couldn't hear but he knew she was nagging. Uh, you know, I don't know about that one. So he went just to stop her nagging, and he, felt, he went up for prayer, and he felt nothing, and he went home, and he was delighted because it stopped her nagging him. So. Over the next two days, he didn't really feel anything. He noticed a bit of stuff coming out of his ears. And then on the third day, he could hear the indicator on the car ticking and his healing was completely restored and the, back, the gross on the back of his neck were completely gone. So it was like it was undeniable and it changed our whole entire family. My, my parents became Christians, my aunts and uncles, uh, extended family, and my granddad told everybody, everywhere that he went, his testimony, anyone he could pray for him, that he would pray, and strangers in the car park, you know, and, t- and he just died last year, he was 96, and he told everybody about it, because it was miraculous, there was, it was undeniable. And it made us go, there is a God who is real, there is God who has authority, and he can heal, and our whole family was changed by that. So let's look at verse 13. Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. I don't know what your experience is of this verse, but for me, I feel like this verse has been a little bit abused or misunderstood. If you only just believe, kind of reminds me of Tinkerbell and Peter Pan. I do believe in fairies, I do. Um, But God is not transactional. He's relational. He's not saying, if you do this, then I'll do that. There is a prosperity gospel gospel that is preached, which suggests that if you pray more and you will yourself out of bad situations, you can will yourself out of bad situations and into finances, etc. Which, yes, if you pray, things can change. And how we think massively helps, obviously. Obviously. I would say that because I'm a counsellor. So how you think massively changes things. But sometimes these words can get a little bit twisted. They can get taken out of context. If if you have not because you ask not. Because you have believed it would happen. I've experienced this on a number of levels. Firstly, my granddad didn't believe and he was healed. That's one piece. Secondly, I've absolutely believed from the bottom of my heart that God would heal loved ones. And they haven't been healed. So, that sucks. So we hold this tension in our hands. We've got, on one hand, we know he heals, and on the other hand, there's times that he doesn't. But we, uh, we absolutely know that he has the authority to heal. And suffering and illness and pain is not his intention. It's robbed us. And I'm sure that you've not, I'm not the only one who's experienced that. But we can get stuck on the why? If I've asked with all my heart and he doesn't answer, it doesn't make sense. If it's transactional, all I needed to do was believe, and I did. Absolutely, without any doubt, but it didn't happen. God is not transactional. He's relational. We don't see that in Jesus' character at all. We see his heart right at the beginning of this text, saying he wants to heal. His his desire and intention is to set things right. He is good and does only good. So when God doesn't answer my prayers and my faith, do I get cross at him? Absolutely. Lots of whys, lots of tears, but I still trust. You are good, even though this doesn't make sense, you love us. I choose to trust you despite my fears and doubts, even more so in the midst of them. If I could send you home with anything today, it would be to hold in your heads and hearts this beautiful mystery. On one hand, God is a God who heals, restores, and redeems, and yet there are times that we don't see the kingdom breaking through the way that we'd want it to, or in the timing we want it. We need to have the courage to keep asking, seeking, and knocking, and believing that things will happen, and when they don't, to not throw our toys out of the pram and scream, I hate you, God. We can scream. I definitely have. I hate that this happened. Why didn't you heal? Help me to see where you are in all of this. You're in the boat. You don't leave us. You calm the seas. You bring life, and yet there is this tension of prayers being answered and prayers not being answered. But I choose to trust you in it all. I'm not in any way suggesting not praying. Something happens when we pray, we are changed. When we trust, when we have faith and believe that He is good. I'm asking you to have a balanced view that if we have the paddle, if we just use one paddle of doubt and fear, sorry, if we just use one paddle of doubt and fear, we'll just go around in circles. If we just use the paddle of just believe, we'll just go in circles. We need both to work together. The young servant was healed that same hour. God is good. He heals. He restores. And he can bring good out of terrible things. His love for us is hugely redeeming. His care of us is immense. And when things don't go our way, we can turn to him, hearts full of fear and doubt and faith that he is for us and he is with us.